This episode is sponsored by Arc IT, and you'll find out more about them later on in the episode. Hi there, I'm Evan Troxel. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Evan Troxel, and this is the show that talks about how technology is changing the profession of architecture. And I couldn't be more excited to reveal to you today something that I've been involved in for just a little bit. It's a huge step, a huge change in my life, and that is that I have left HMC Architects after about 18 years And that's not all contiguous years. I had four years of internship through um, full-time right after school, actually, or during and after school when I graduated. And then I left HMC, did a bunch of different things, which I've talked about on my other show, ArcaSpeak, the podcast that I do with my co-host, Cormac Phelan. And we talk about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. So a lot of that is informed by this varied career that I've had in the profession, uh, not just working in architecture proper or even just at one firm proper. I went off, I I did my own visual effects work. I I worked for History Channel and Discovery Channel, and I was a freelancer. And I went and worked at Apple. I did a bunch of stuff there. I went and worked at a interior design and manufacturing, like fixtures for displays company where we would design it and build all the stuff. We had a full metal shop and a wood shop and a CNC. And I learned a lot about fabrication during that job. And then ultimately got back to HMC Architects, where I have been now since 2007. So got hired there as, a, I think, a design leader. Worked myself up to senior designer. And then in the last two years-ish, I started HMC's digital practice and built a team to solve and strategize all the technology issues when it comes to the practice of architecture at HMC. And, you know, throughout that process, I was teaching at Cal Poly Pomona and Mount Sac, which is a a, a community college and teaching architecture and technology there. And same thing at, at Cal Poly for a decade and plus. So a lot of different experiences there. I think a lot of that has worked its way into, you know, the point of view that I come from on this show, but my other show as well, ArcaSpeak. And so this is a very special episode because this is the embarking of a new chapter in my life. And this is the kind of the public reveal of that. So like I said, very recently I've left HMC and now I am a full-time employee of Tect and Tect is building the Tect app platform to solve the myriad of problems that we find in our profession between architects and manufacturers, realizing that that is kind of a fundamental building block for getting projects done. And there is so much inefficiency in that process, but we're also leaving so much on the table when it comes to what's possible with architecture because of the status quo that everybody just kind of accepts as the way things are when it comes to how we integrate this process into the delivery process for our projects. So this episode really is kind of special in that I've invited Cormac, my co-host from my other show, into the room along with Bob Habian, who's an architect here in California, where I'm also practicing. 
And Cormac is going to kind of facilitate this conversation. So a little bit of tables turned on the Troxel podcast today. It's really about the fundamental problems that we're trying to solve from two points of view, the architect side, because this is really designed by architects for architects, or really anybody in the AE sphere, which includes landscape architects, interiors, things like that. And also the manufacturer side of that equation, uh, which is a key part of getting things built, right? All of the pieces that we build our buildings out of come from the manufacturing side. And so we're going to talk today about how Tect is using technology to change that conversation and really connect people with other people and expertise and a just-in-time kind of a manner, like getting what you need when you need it from who you need it from and making sure that it's matched up to your project. So this is a fascinating problem set to be tackling and using technology to do just that. So I never really thought that I would be you know, leaving the architectural profession as a designer proper and working for a technology company. But I do really believe that architecture firms are becoming more and more like technology firms. And I wanted to have an impact on the entire profession. And so this is a great way for me to be able to do that. And this opportunity was just, I, I couldn't pass it up. So without any further ado, I am so excited to jump into this conversation about my next chapter with my friends, Cormac Phelan, my co-host at Arcuspeak, and Bob Habian. So welcome, everybody. Today we have myself, Evan Troxel, and a special guest, Bob Habian. And so we're talking about a problem that everybody in the industry has um, suffered through, suffered with, and that's trying to reach out to manufacturers and get new products and new information. And then you find that you have to go through this very circuitous route of really not getting the right information from the right people at the right time. You know, and it, lots of times things become very unspecific to what you're doing. And so one of the interesting things that our guest uh, Bob has done is um, develop the Tech Act. And rather than me going through a very long diatribe, you know, I want to turn it over to Bob and let him tell us a little bit about what the Tech App is. Thanks, Corey. So nice to meet y'all. I'm Bob Habian. I'm an architect and have a rather long history in manufacturing as well. And the long and short of it is we all know how tough it is to reach manufacturers when we need to and to get the information that we're seeking easily. Um, in response to that challenge, I've been working for quite a while to just shorten that gap. And the key to that is simply understanding a whole lot more about how architects and manufacturers communicate, where the holes are, and have spent a lot of time on the manufacturing side just to understand the subtleties and uh, some of the misconceptions and some of the holes. So TechDAP is a solution to that that's inclusive of both sides. And my hope is that we can just facilitate better communication. So, so I'm curious, you know, I mean, most of the time, especially, you know, when you're, you're knee deep into kind of like your own know, project management and you're working on a project and you're kind of like running through things, um, you know, you, you go through the, the natural progression of the pain that, you know, we always are looking for new products and all of this other stuff. And, you know, I, I can tell you from it, 
examples far and wide, especially just on this current project, that it, you know, most of the time when I'm calling up a rep, I get the salespeople. And then there's this bouncing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with um, you know, trying to get the right people at the, you know, as part of all of this. And so when you were in the profession, you know, you you've you talked about working on both the manufacturer side and the architectural side. Um, you know, how long has this problem been going on? Because, you know, everybody always says, oh, this is just, you know, clearly it's just a problem that I, I'm dealing with. And it seems to be a problem that's been plaguing us for quite a long time. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a declining kind of slope of uh, health in the situation. And it's been happening for a long time. I look back historically to a much better fit between the supply and demand sides of buildings and, and built places, right? Where craftsmen and others made things happen. And it was a very connected collaborative process, particularly in an information age. We're in a, we're, you know, we're drowning in an ocean of data, frankly. Yeah. And people yeah. get a little bit ahead of their skis on what should be put out and when. And there's now a, a pretty significant disconnect between supply side manufacturers and an understanding of what's needed at each step of the process on the demand and design and build side. So, you know, there, there's just a lot of distance. It's growing, but it's fixable. It's fixable. So I don't think we need any new information, new people, better products or anything like that. We just need better alignment. And so it's really more of an exercise in human factors of change and understanding that even if we've got a great plan to do great things together and back, you know, similar to the way we used to do it in the built environment together, um, we really need to get a better understanding of where each person is in the process, where each company is in the process, you know, and, and stitch things back together over time. Um, but I think everyone experiences it on all project types all the time. Yeah, it's funny is that, you know, we have this this huge flood of information. I mean, they, people can Google things and get, you know, thousands of bits of information about just, I don't know, any, any product that they're looking for. And for some reason, the easier access to all of this information tends to get us the wrong information or not the information that we need specific to what we're doing. What is kind of the goal of TechDapt yeah. uh, in, in kind of like reconnecting or kind of like distilling back down to the, the information that we actually need to get? Kind of like asking for directions when you're driving, right? <gasps> if you don't know where you're going, dare you. don't, don't try getting there. <laughs> and, and so when we go online and we start searching Google and we find, you know, little kernels of information and we pursue those even further and then we get to a directory of products and then we dig into the features and benefits and the specs and we don't even know what we're looking at as far as uh, availability yeah. you know uh cost point appropriate to our our budgets um etc so the whole notion is rather than start the endless black hole of search for product information and product data why not just connect with the experts in those arenas, right? So if I'm trying to make my way through farmland, I probably want to talk to a farmer. Say, hey, here's yeah. where I'm trying to get. And he says, okay, well, here's the best way to get there. Hmm. And, and he can give me a great answer 
if he's a better listener as well, because it's not just getting from point A to point B. I might want five very interesting milestones along the way that matter to me. And I want to go sequentially to each one. And so it's more about having a conversation that's a good give and take, that's patient and comfortable, that's not about a sale, that's not about a quick close or a quick answer per se, but about clarity and understanding. Um, you know, I often just reference the fact that with every project involving hundreds of products, literally, and behind each product, multiple manufacturers, it's very easy to get overwhelmed because there's simply too much information and too little time to make sense of it, right? So as architects, we need to give up on the idea that we're supposed to know everything and get back to more of a conductor role, a coordinator role, where we engage the, the knowledge that's there on the supply side and let them help inform our questions and milestones that we need information for for the one primary function, and that is to be able to make an informed decision as a design professional, right? That's what we want to do. And we're trying to find what we need to, to, to achieve that, and the tools simply haven't been there. Um, so TechTap is recognizing two sides. One is the, the lack of the right tools, and then the other is the need to coach folks along in this new arena to better understand each side of the conversation, you know, each side of the audience, and, and to encourage patience and clarity and openness. And within that last point around openness, there are just natural barriers in our industry and our culture as well, right? If you're an architect early in a project and you want to research five different options that you might consider, the last thing I want to do is go to five different websites, give them my information, and let them unleash the hounds to come after me, right? I don't even right, know who right. I want to deal with yet. And I don't even know if those five are going to qualify at all. So it would be nice to be able to reach that information source, talk to actual humans, but not have to tell them who I am or what I'm working on for a minute, you know? So TechDAP also includes factors like that and takes it into consideration and has uh, built an interesting tool set around it that we call Stealth Communication. That is a bit of a game changer as well. There's, I think, I think in that conversation right there, like you just outlined all of it, right? So there's, there's how do we find stuff that we need when we need it? How do we make decisions based on, you know, these progressive steps along the way? So the timing aspect to it, right? Yep. So again, kind of what you need when you need it. The when part is extremely important because we all know we start it. 30,000 feet and work our way down to a more fine, finely uh, sharp point as we get further along in the process. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that happens in the current process that's completely broken about that, right? We're, as architects, fielding uh, sales calls that are unsolicited. We're, we're getting a flood of emails in our inboxes where they're just throwing spaghetti at the wall um, because that's that's the way that it's been done. Right. And so, yeah. so no fault to them. They're, they're not people, salespeople on the manufacturing side are not stepping back and saying, what do architects need from me? And when they're just saying like, this is how we do it. We sell stuff. And right. in order to sell stuff, we need to be in their inbox. We need to be on the phone with them all the time and, and not stepping back and saying, what do architects need? When do they need it? And, 
how should that process really work? How can I actually serve them instead of selling to them? And that's basically what you're talking about with, with TechDAP, right? Yeah. I mean, the magnitude of dysfunction is overwhelming when you really take the time to understand what goes on, right? For the experience of one manufacturer, they might reach out to an architect once a month, once a quarter, let's say. But if an architect is working on, say, 10 projects and each one has a couple hundred products on it, and each manufacturer wants to try to just check in and say, how you doing, right? The experience for the architect is this barrage of incoming. And they just have to reject it, you know, as a matter of time management. Right. And for each manufacturer that doesn't understand that kind of buildup by others, um, they have no idea. And in my experience with manufacturers over the last 20 years, uh, including being a global manufacturer myself and consulting with over 300 other manufacturers, I can confidently say that understanding how architects think work and what we need is the weakest link for manufacturers. It's the one thing they know the least about, right? If you're a manufacturer, you need to deal with supply side issues and sourcing your materials and manufacturing and insuring and distributing and selling, frankly, right? Yeah. And so how do you sell your products? You sell them to people that buy them and architects don't buy them. Yeah, right. I think that was right. one of the the biggest like aha statements that you've made a while back to me. And it was just like, yeah, they're always selling and architects aren't the ones buying. And right. therefore, there, there's this mismatch that's built into this broken system that nobody seems willing to or able to kind of step back and reassess that situation. Right. Because they're they're operating within their own lanes all the time, right? So So take what what one manufacturer is doing in that barrage of information out to architects and then multiply that by how many building products get used on a, on a project yeah. hundreds right so yeah. so now you're you're actually starting to understand the sea of information that architects find themselves having to wade through time and time again on every single project right and that's why you have to have that kind of pruning effect in that that just auto delete the emails because it's just too, it's right. too much. Yeah. I think it, it includes a little bit of a factor of perhaps agriculture, right? Um, it's one thing to grow a nice fruit tree in your backyard, but what if you had to, you know, grow fruit trees on a hundred acres? Because everything you do affects the entire deal, right? You're going to do it hundreds of times, not one time. Right. And so if we get it right, it can be fantastic. And when we get it wrong, it's a disaster. But the key is that we can just do some very small refinements, right? And that exponential factor of each side of the community, the number of products, the number of manufacturers, et cetera. Let's just agree that right now it's not fun for everyone. But if we could get some of the fundamentals right and everyone were to adopt them, Imagine the, the magnitude of change that we all experience, right? Yeah. So it, it's more about finding better patterns, understanding where people are in the process and what, what needs to happen for them to be able to find and take the next step that they should. It's not about talking about it. It's not about theorizing anymore. It's about literally just helping those incremental steps happen with a look toward an agricultural mindset of how that crop's going to be looking in maybe three years, mm-hmm. you know? So a bit of a longer view with immediate action. 
and uh, some deep knowledge of each community and an inclusive process along the way. So it's really an invitation to both sides as mm -hmm. much as it is a business, um, right? I'm not here to sell anything. I'm here to help the health of the conversations and take, for instance, that, that communication with architects, right? Manufacturers don't quite understand it and they're trying to sell to them without recognizing fully that architects are perhaps your best sales lever, right? They just are. Yeah. And so even though they're yeah. not buying anything, they might be your most powerful partner in your top line sales. And if your top line sales grow, your capital efficiency to the bottom line is even better. You know, um, so those are some exciting factors that, that underpin the opportunity. And, uh, you know, the only thing that's happening as an architect myself is I've made this my project and it's been my project for more than 20 years. Cormac, I have a question for you because you're the you're the most practicing architect out of the three of us on projects kind of day to day, okay. and and so you know the way that I kind of think about it is architects and correct me if I'm wrong and, and elaborate on this is that architects tend to fall into two camps of finding products and components for their buildings. You know whether it's going to be a facade system or whether it's going to be actual fixtures or anything that goes into a, a building project. A lot of times we're, we're in one of these two camps or maybe both of them, right, is we, we use what we know because it's been right. proven or, or all that information has already been collected. It's in the spec, like it's already there. So I look at that as stuff I don't have to do again, right? This is that I've already built this. Um, and, so, and so a lot of times we become like overly dependent upon that because we just don't want to spend the time looking for new stuff, Right. And then there's the other side, which is like, okay, I'm going to find something new for this project because the performance criteria demands it or because of the, the location is different than what I'm used to. You know, it could be a number of things. And we go down this, like Bob said earlier, this black hole of search, right? And, mm -hmm. and so you never know where you're going to end up with that. You could end up on a Pinterest page that doesn't ever get you to actual project product information. Right. You could end up on some manufacturer's website and every one of them's different. Right. And you could be kind of scrolling through hundred page PDFs looking for a certain detail. Right. So you could just see like how, how there's so many pathways that the search goes down. And again, you never know where you end up and you never know where you're going to end up. And there's so many distractions along the way. I, I, I like to say that, you know, you, you never know how you ended up shopping for shoes when you started <laughs> out on that product search, <laughs> right. but you did. Right. And that's because the sidebar is loaded with ads and there's, it's made to distract, right. It's made for yeah. you to click on that stuff. And so, you know, from your experience, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, again, I think this kind of gets back to that idea of the fundamental the fundamentals of what this is, is just putting people in touch with people rather than searching through directories and endless searches or reusing what we already know all the time. So basically, without knowing about Tech Tap, um, a lot of people have been asking me questions about, you know, kind of that very process over the course of the past couple of weeks. It's been a pretty hot topic about, um, you know, specifications and, you know, right products that are used and things like that. And, you know, what's interesting about the two camps thing is that 
I would venture a guess to say that a lot of times we start our projects off with in camp one where, you know, most of the time we start to look at our basis of design for the project more of like, okay, we're comfortable with these products that we've used. You know, we know that on the last project, it was successful. The last, you know, specs that we wrote, you know, we, we like this product and all that other stuff. And so you kind of start that way. And then as hopefully you start to evolve the design, then you start to say, okay, you know, the last time I used those sliders, um, they were great, but I have a different performance criteria. And I know that in the past, they haven't been able to meet that. I need to start actually taking a look at other um, products that are you know, comparable to this design aesthetic that we, we want, but with a different performance. And a lot of times then it goes off onto the, the Google searches and just trying to find them. And then, yeah, you said, like, oh, look at that. Ooh, I like the way that that looks. But you never really get to get into the meat of like the performance and stuff. And, and so a lot of times when you reach out to a lot of manufacturers, you do get the sales call and you do say, well, so, oh yeah, well, our, our product will meet that. And then the, the more and more you dig into it, when you actually get to like the, the technical side of, of it, um, they're like, well, that product is good for this, but that product is good for that. You're looking for this and it needs to be that rather than this kind of thing. You know, and you're just kind of trying to, you know, get to those quick decisions of like, okay, I like this product, but I need other products, you know, especially a lot of times when we're looking for the approved equals. Um, and a lot of times we as architects like to stack the approved equals mm -hmm. in a manner that, okay, I like this product and this product and this product. And that's how I want to stack my, my specifications. So it, at the very least in the manufacturers is if you get them the right information that's really conforming to the design aspects and performance aspects that you really want, you're going to be able to get more, a, a good variety of really strong uh, manufacturers in your specifications. So when they're competing, it is an apples to apples rather than an apples and you know, sometimes when you, you know, write a spec, you know, you, you kind of like write it for a very specific one and you kind of like handicap all the other ones. I, I, I can't stand that because one of the things that we all know is that none of the, none of the projects are always going to have a hundred percent of the products that you want. And so you're always, you should be looking for comparables and all that other stuff. And so I, I'm in, I'm actually in both camps. Of it. I, I actually yeah, right. do work on, I, I kind of started as like, okay, you know, I do have to do a base of design and schematic design and I'm going to have to do a, uh, you know, kind of a schematic design budget. And so I'm going to need to have real dollar, you know, figures to all of those products. So I always kind of go to the tried and trues. And a lot of times I'll say, okay, did this tried and true work for me? Yes. Did that, you know, did we kind of, ah, uh, the hardware kind of like, you know, failed on this and all this other stuff. I want to try to stay away from that. But I still like what it's you know providing me. What what is you know option B, C, D, and E you know kind of things. And so um, you know it. I I can there's there's an interesting soapbox that I could pull out and start standing on and preaching to you guys because this has been a very strong conversation in the office and you know even on my own project team kind of we just did a a bid submission and I was telling Evan and and we finally you know like we started to look at after action views and it was just like well what are the what are some of the things that we should have done differently and one of the things was is make um product decisions quicker 
it was it was hands down it was like literally one of the first things that almost everybody yeah. says like yes because we had an idea and you know we just it kept evolving throughout the whole design process and even into construction documentation and and i was just like you know if we if we're able to make bigger decisions because like sometimes bad example but you know sometimes we'll like get to a um you know a product that we like and then we you know reach the manufacturer don't really get good responses and we're you know like it just kind of like drags on and then you're like okay um how did we solve that and we're like uh, we're not sure yet and, and mm. you're just like yeah. we didn't we didn't solve it because it was too tough of you know of an idea and we just kind of kicked it down the road and yeah. one of the things yeah and so one of the things that we you know we're you know, specifically to like what we're discussing right now is that if we can get more informed decisions a lot quicker it'll really help us with you know i, I said we should never decide 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 a manufacturer i'm sorry a product um well past dd you should make that decision at dd and move on because cds is just it's just documentation and yep. the, the thing is is like well you know we're not just you know we didn't really look at the right people or or you know we were told sold, sold a bill of goods or we only got this one, but then we realized that we were really looking into it. We, it didn't meet the performance criteria and stuff. And the thing that, you know, I, I find really exciting about like, you know, the things that I know about TechDAP is it's going to be able to get the arc. It's going to help facilitate architects to make a decision a lot quicker mm-hmm. in the right, in the right ones, the, the more project specific ones. Yeah. yeah. And I would say it's, it's not even about quicker, although that is, but it's, it's like appropriate timing, right? So it's, it's not like okay. I want to get we'll use that. all the information all at once. Cause, cause right, we right, all right, know right. that's not how it works, but it's like, yeah. but where does all that stuff plug in and how, and, and it should be based on your needs, right? Yeah. 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 That brings to mind three things. One, in terms of timing, would you rather get an answer in 15 seconds? Or would you rather get the perfect answer, even if it took a day or two, right? Because if that manufacturer could truly understand the intricacies of your design intent, maybe they need to go do their own bit of work for you yeah, yeah, and come back with the right solution instead of just giving you what their gut says is the next thing to say, right? So timing, I think to Evan's point, is appropriate timing. And it's yeah. everything from concept stage to post-occupancy. Architects still have questions along the yeah. entire spectrum, right? So it's not just about sourcing a product to get it into your package for bid. It's about, hey, I was just proposed three alternatives post-bid, you know, or, or during the bid. And, and I've got some basic questions. So yeah. the questions are, here's a key, are hard to predict, right? <laughs> so if I'm going to put information on my website as a manufacturer, what questions am I answering already? I don't even know what they're going to be. Yeah. So that conversation makes a big difference. Um, you know, another point is that, you know, when we have the, the opportunity uh, to communicate and, and we don't know who to talk to, right? Where do you begin? And so what's ironic to me is that as architects, we probably... When I said earlier that manufacturers weakest link is that they don't understand us, we probably all went, man, they sure should. Didn't you think <laughs> that? Didn't yeah, you think yeah. like, it sure would be nice if they took the time to understand us. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the irony. 
Would you agree that maybe one of the weakest links as architects is that even though our projects consist of real products with performance criteria, cost, availability issues, et cetera, that one of our weakest links is understanding how to make informed decisions around products mm-hmm. and understanding yeah. how to navigate that process? Shouldn't we all know exactly how to do that already? And I, I truly believe it's one of our weakest links. So here is kind of a aha moment that I came across a long time ago when I saw both sides. It's the simple realization that all of the data that might inform answers to our questions are sitting in the hands of the manufacturers. It's already there. It's already mm-hmm. known. Cost, availability, et cetera, et cetera. What we don't do is allow those manufacturers to collaborate with us in the process a lot more actively. To recognize that, you know what, don't even try to come up with a a good notion of what we think it might be as architects. Just know that all the answers are there. They're fully accessible at no cost. The manufacturers are hoping to have that conversation with us sometime, and we just never make the call. Mm -hmm. So whether there's tech app or not, the idea of, hey, I've got a project, I've got some questions or options on products, and let's say that I I'm thinking of using that door system that I used the last time, but I'm not sure if there might be something different about my next project here. Um, you know, those door guys, they kind of know all the options a lot better than we do. Yeah. So before we even decide, should I use that same one or maybe something else? Here's a good example. Concrete block. I worked with it for eight and a half years with one of the largest manufacturers in the Western U.S. I met with hundreds of architects on hundreds of projects. What's your thought on concrete block? Pretty simple product, right? Yeah. And most of us would think, you know, it's a great block and we'll either use it for this or that. <laughs> Did you know there's over 4,000 mixed designs of concrete that are used in concrete block just by this mm-hmm. one manufacturer? Do you know that they have over 400 shapes of block? Do you know that distribution-wise, there are certain county lines in certain states above which certain manufacturers supply, below which other manufacturers supply? And that if you're going to change from one to the other, certain mixes aren't even available by the other. And in some instances, they're everywhere. The fact is that there's so much information that you shouldn't even start down that path as an architect. Just ask the question to the source and let them help inform our questions, whether they're extremely broad in general or very specific. You know, the idea of, hey, I've got a public project. I need three minimum manufacturers. How easy would it be to call on that block manufacturer and say, who are the next two that are reasonable in the market where our project is? Because if I can't include three, I'm probably going to have to go find another system to use altogether because I can't list just one. Right. And so for sure, that manufacturer is going to know who the competitors are. But does that manufacturer understand the necessity of giving you that information so that they can actually be included themselves? Right. Right. So it's it's a whole series of interesting moving parts that are, again, they're all present. It's just about alignment and understanding and actually empowering each side with the resources that exist on the other and letting yeah. them play in our process. So, so I've, I've been excited as heck about the process change. It's just a matter of change is hard, change is messy. And uh, now we're just navigating that and building some tools that make that navigation itself a lot smoother and a lot more intuitive. 
So what makes that change? So, well, speaking of change, right? So you've got this platform that architects can now use to engage. But what makes it different? What what makes the outcome different, right? So one thing that you've talked about that I'm really excited about is the whole idea behind the Tech Academy yeah. and what what we're yeah. going to do for manufacturers to enable that change so that it's not just more of the same. Like what what we're what we don't want to see happen is architects engage and they just get the same kind of sales pitch, right? Mm-hmm. And and right. so the whole Tech Academy is designed to change that. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how that's going to work and why you feel like the solution lies in that to actually give manufacturers what they want out of the side of out of out of their part of the equation as well. Right. Yeah, I would say it starts with the notion that this is built by architects, you know? We know what we need. And so it's about together informing curriculum, if you will, right? hand to the manufacturer to say, hey, we want you to go to school on how to better serve us. And we're not going to wait for someone else to write the curriculum or for you on the supply side to write your own curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so the Tech Academy is an opportunity to include our opinions and wishes and preferences on what would you say to an, a manufacturer if they invited you to help them help you or for to, for you to help them? You know what I mean? And and so the Tech Academy is curriculum by architects to help manufacturers understand those fundamentals while recognizing the needs of the manufacturer. And so it's it's really an invitation for curriculum content, and I think that's going to be an ongoing process, right? Good thing universities didn't stop with their curriculum development 50 years ago, right? Right. Times change. So the content is an ongoing factor, but the fundamentals that have just not been there before are pretty easy to discern and assemble. And so we have a six week training available to manufacturers and it's actually a prerequisite for them to even be on the platform. So one factor in keeping things from returning to the way they've always been on a new platform is that we're actually raising the bar of, for entry. And we're raising the bar for continued participation. Um, so a couple of things. In the academy, we're giving them the fundamentals. They need to complete it. And that's just that gets them in the door to the, to the application. But once they're in, every engagement they have with architects on the platform, architects have the ability to make a note about that engagement. Was it helpful? Was it not helpful? Or was it very helpful? And with just that simple ask at the end of, a, of an engagement, there's going to build up this record of, of how much are they understanding these new rules? Mm-hmm. And it's not, those aren't metrics to punish people or to promote people, frankly. Those are just metrics to help navigate the change, right? So if one rep is just constantly getting praises from architects, wow, that was very helpful, Right. And you've got a tranche of reps that aren't getting that kind of traction. It's about understanding what are the things that that guy's doing or girl's doing that's getting it right. And how do we help transfer some of that knowledge internal to the manufacturing side from one good adopter to others, right? So that whole realm. 
And that's why I say it's a, it's a business that's as much about the human factors of change as it is anything, right? Because we're, we're kind of in that business too. And so we, we're building metrics and tools to help analyze and nudge over time, higher performance, higher fit, more responsiveness, and a better understanding to, is this actually helping or is this just a big promotional waste of time, you know, that nobody yeah. needs? Yeah, I think one of the things that, that we we all know really well is like we we can probably count on our hand the number of sales reps that we trust and we will go to every single time because yeah. we get that from them already. But then there's yeah. this sea of stuff out there, which you could label as opportunity or distraction, depending on how you look at it and where, <laughs> where you're at right then. But it's right. like, there's, there's no way that I know what I'm going to get. And so what you're talking about is building consistency mm-hmm. in a platform that architects could then trust and then use more, which is a win-win, right? For, for manufacturers and architects. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you just mentioned trust, right? That is another pillar of TechDAP. Absolutely. And not just TechDAP. That's another pillar in our industry Yeah. that everybody should take time to better understand, right? No matter who you are. Um, you know, we can self-analyze as architects and ask, how much do we trust the manufacturing community, right? Because mm-hmm. if we have a low degree of trust, then we probably have a low degree of engagement with them. But if you knew, like you said, you, you had a few trusted sources, you're going to call them early and often because they're helpful. Yeah. And yeah. there's no risk and you trust them. Yeah. You trust them to not call you back asking how the project's going. You trust them to give you straight answers to tough questions, right? So a really significant opportunity and another aha moment is the flip side of this hundreds of products on every project, right? Hundreds of products on every project is a challenge. Mm -hmm. Well, here's an opportunity. What if every architect had a few architect, I mean, a few trusted sources, right? And not deep research, but, but the average that we've experienced over the decades is less than 10. Um, closer to eight on average that, that, you know, just a handful of people do architects really trust. But if, if each architect trusts, let's say five to 10, how many architects are there in total? How many trusted reps are really out there? An awful lot. Mm -hmm. We just don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing that the platform allows is kind of a peer to peer cross pollination of giving up those short lists of our best folks and sharing those names with others, right? Because if I need 300 trusted sources and I've got five, mm-hmm. I can either spend the next 20X to get to the 100 myself or maybe 20 other or 40 other architects have got their own five that round out my needs pretty easily. Yeah, and I think I think with that specific kind of thinking, it, it really is about raising the level of the whole profession where some people will, will protect those relationships, right? Because right. I don't, I, I need them to be available when I need them to be available. So I'm not going right. to let everybody else know about them. That is the complete wrong way to think about it. The, <laughs> the wrong, the right way to think about it is if you tell this community about your five and they tell you about their five, like it's this sharing economy that starts to build a community that raises yeah. the level of the entire profession going forward. And yeah. and it's all built on 
good relationships and trust and sharing of knowledge and getting what you need when you need it. And it, it really starts to address the fundamental problems that we have just ignored mm-hmm. for so long because this is how we've always done it. Yeah. And these are these are subtleties, right? Assessing your degree of trust of supply side manufacturers. That's something that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about, frankly, right? As individuals. Um, yeah. But another interesting point about trust and sharing what you know, right? Um, <laughs> I once wanted to share some information about a fishing hole that a few buddies of mine and I went to. And they're like, dude, don't ever tell anyone about our fishing hole. <laughs> yeah, it's a cardinal rule. <laughs> if you tell them about our fishing hole, then there will be no more fish pretty soon, right? Well, that's appropriate when there are finite resources, right? But supply-side knowledge base is not a finite resource. Yeah. What do I gain by not sharing a great rep with someone else? We're not going to run out of information, guys. In fact, just the opposite. The more we do that, the better they will understand which information is relevant when, and they're going to self-organize a little better if they have the opportunity to talk to more of us. And so there's, and then as far as work effort, effort as well, again, if you know five trusted sources, then go ahead and plan your own life. How long will it take you to find and develop, you know, another 95 relationships with sources? Just do the math. And is that going to be a fun process? And do you know how to do it easily? Or would you like to have handed to you 95 trusted peer sourced experts like tomorrow? You know, yeah. and that yeah. kind of nuance is is about, you know, the uh, network effect, uh, kind of crowdsourcing, um, all of the above. But we're applying those principles now to just, again, as you said, improvement of our process and our practice, yeah. elevating yeah. the profession, elevating things. You know, and then I. You know, when I hear like a news story about buildings need to be more energy efficient or more resistive to fire or you name it. Right. The whole stock of buildings need to elevate it to a certain thing. A lot of people project that that might take decades and decades to make that kind of change happen, right? But imagine how much more thoughtful and higher performance your outcomes could be if you were able to shift really quickly to having far better source access to make far better informed decisions on all of your products. If you did that on your next project, right? And it's hard to do midway on any project. So it's not like shift gears in the middle of your current project. Sometimes a current project, you just have to go, hey, water into the bridge, you know? But the next time, instead of guessing, use the old door system or guess at the next one, just call some door suppliers and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Don't call me back. Answer my question and get the information from the horse's mouth. And if you were to do that, you know, on your next project, imagine how quickly the outcome might be a hell of a lot better, right? And so I think, for instance, one of the solutions to energy efficiency in the world, architects having better access to information in order to make more informed decisions, right? Um, Case in point, I was part of a a company that I helped start uh, more than 20 years ago on Wall Street. And we built out an event center with over 300 manufacturers. And I was kind of the developer on the project, co-developer. And my ask was very simple. I asked the manufacturers, what would you put in this space that would showcase your current best products? Simple question. 
And then in response, we used those simple products, those best products, and we put them all in one place. And by definition, just by that simple ask of each manufacturer, by definition, that space was the most advanced built space on the planet Earth. Hmm. It was 24 years ago, and we had raised floor environment, underfloor air, fiber optics, bomb-proof server containment, ergonomic everything, sustainable everything, you know, full-spectrum fluorescent lights, et cetera. Because we just ask, the products are already there, actually. The innovations are already happening. You know, and they're not just coming from new sources. They're coming from old sources with new ideas and new products. A lot of those big companies buy the up-and-comers. Um, so another facet of Tech App is to embrace the manufacturing community with two primary focuses. And that is to get all of those mainstay manufacturers that make wood and roofing and glass and other things on the platform. Because we still, as much as... Those are institutional in our industry. We still all have a ton of questions for them that we need help with. And then the other community of source is who are the people making the innovative stuff? Because as you said, architects want that access as well. And we want to make those you know, findings happen easier and quicker in one place, not 50 places. So we're actually looking at the manufacturing supply side with both of those lenses, you know, attracting the mainstream and really looking for innovation sources so that we can help shorten their path to market, whether they're big or small, and how much resources they have to exist and, and remain become a lot more tolerable if they have easier access to the community of architects as well, right? So there are a whole lot of economic yeah. factors, a whole lot of industry factors at work here, but it's enabled by very subtle, very small moves by each of us. Let's take a break from this conversation and welcome back the sponsor for this episode, ArcIT. I'm so excited to have them on board, and I can't wait to tell you a little bit more about them. I had the pleasure of speaking with Boris and Alex over at ArcIT, and one of the threads of conversation that we had that I think we can all kind of relate to is that a lot of IT providers rely on you to be too much of an expert in this stuff, and they don't really understand the technology that makes your business work. And I think one thing that makes ArcIT a little bit different in that regard is that they understand the architecture and engineering space. And that's why I really felt like they're a great fit for this audience. So as business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? Typically, only when things go wrong. And for many of us, unfortunately, this happens too often, especially with the latest emphasis on remote work. I know that I've had to deal with my fair share of IT fire drills even this morning, trying to resolve a domain name issue. Not pleasant. ArcIT, however, is a very different kind of company. They specialize in serving architecture, design, and engineering firms, and their goal is to help you use technology as a competitive advantage. This means that they understand your technology stack, and they won't waste your time and money learning how your tools work within your process. Combine that with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, and solid disaster recovery and backup solutions. That's something that everybody should be thinking of, honestly. And enterprise-grade security management. And yet, above all, these are just table stakes for a solid IT company. ArcIT goes a step further. They become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business processes. And again, this is something that I love about ArcIT is that they're being proactive. They're not waiting for the fires to come up. They're helping you plan for your future. So all of this sounds expensive, right? Nope. 
Because Arc IT is highly specialized for our industry, their pricing is on par or in some cases even lower than other IT providers. Arc IT is transparent and even publishes the pricing right on their website. Uh, speaking of their website, there's also something else you should check out when you're there, and that is their Design Under Influence blog and video series. Again, adding value to IT-type solutions, I think, across industry, all good stuff. So your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner. Reach out to my friends at Arc IT for a free consultation. So go to GetArcIT, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com, arc-like architecture in the middle, and click Work With Us. So thanks very much to ArcIT for sponsoring this episode of the Troxel Podcast. And now let's get back to our conversation. I wanted to, to key in on that. Yeah, so so you we say with TechDap that there's going to be this level of trust, but that's going to be a process on how to get there. And part of that is to mm. have the the Tech Academy, which trains sales reps how to serve and what architects need, it, rather than sell. But the, I think the other big component to that, which you mentioned earlier, was this idea of stealth communications. Mm. And Cormac, what I wanted to ask you was when you are looking for new products. And maybe you're working on a project that you can or can't or don't want to at the earliest stages reveal, right, for various reasons. Like a lot of times uh, an owner requirement is that the project can't be revealed. But then there's other times where it's just like you don't want somebody doing the runaround on you, right? So so can you talk about what it's been like for you as a project architect and how you do build trust over time? And then kind of taking a step back and saying, well, what if I don't have to do it that way? I can actually do it fully veiled with a a system like Tech is offering and how that might change how you approach finding new things. So I'll say that two things I always look for when I'm trying to, you know, approach a new product with a manufacturer and it's access and accuracy. Accuracy, things that are very specific to the question that I'm asking. I mean, I'm looking for a specific answer. And to be able to get back to me with the right answer goes a long way. And then, you know, I start to realize that I can rely on that person and I can start to ask them other questions for other projects, this project, whatever. And, you know, and then the access is, you know, I mean, they're they're basically very intertwined. Mm-hmm. It's finding the right information, finding the right information in a timely manner, but also just feeling like, you know, I'm not just being sold to, I'm actually getting the products that I want and the answers. I mean, because when I'm looking for products, I'm not just looking for, ooh, it looks really pretty. I also want to know, ooh, it's going to perform really well. Performance, and right. a lot of times, you know, people are just saying, well, you know, I can give you this really thing, you know, pretty thing, but never really fully divulge, you know, like the performance aspects that I'm really looking for when I need a product. And so, you know, the, the access, access and accuracy and, and then, you know, don't make me feel like I'm being sold to make me feel like I, um, you know, you're, you're looking specifically at the, the question that I'm asking. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the great thing about the, the stealth mode is that, and, and yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I've in fact, even my more current project, um, for years, I wasn't allowed to even say who it was that I was working for. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. let alone, you know, what the project was. 
and, and you know, for, for a variety of different reasons and, and all of them were legitimate, but you know, a lot of times the sales guys look, yeah, I really want to just keep focus on that particular project. So when it comes out to bid, you know, I can bid on it. Like oh, you'll know that when, you know, we're allowed to, but when up until then I still need all of this information. And right. sometimes you got to be a lot more forthcoming with just saying, okay, I don't need another project. I just know, you know, I'm working, you know, I need to work with you so that I can, you know, like actually have that shot to bid on it later on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, like functionally, mechanically in, in the app, you, you can give your project a, like a known as name, which can be whatever you want, right. which helps you track this kind of collaboration with, with manufacturers, getting information that you need when you need it and keeping it in, in that place. <laughs> and what that allows is you to talk about this as a subject and remove the pieces of the information that maybe aren't appropriate to talk about yet, which is, I think it's kind of two things that, you know, if I put myself in a, in a manufacturer or sales rep's shoes, I'm, I'm looking for who, what's the project? Like how juicy is it? How big is it? <laughs> right. What, exactly. Who's the, who's the client? You know, if I don't, if I don't know project information, who's the client. Right. But then also like, What's your domain name that you're coming from as an architect? Is it one of the big H firms, right? Is it, or is it, is it an HOK? Is it a SOM? Is it a, is it a ASG? Is it like, what, what is it? And that also helps kind of fill in some gaps about the potential of that project right, and right. how much they might want to pay attention to it. What I like about this is it, it levels the playing field, right? It says yeah. like every architect gets equal access because all they want as a, as a, all of them together is information, right? It doesn't matter yeah, how yeah. big or how small. Right. And it's, it works the other way too, right? It, it's like now as an architect, I can go in there and I can look for stuff by an up and coming because it, re, because it fulfills the requirements that I need. And it right. gives them equal access on the platform as a giant manufacturer, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's pretty cool, I think, in a way that, that it, it levels the playing field across the board to make it where, what is this really about? Like it strips back the conversation to just getting people the information that they need. And then these manufacturers are competing on that performance of getting you the information that you need. Right. I think that that's well, fantastic. Yeah. And, and from the manufacturer side of things, you know, as you're saying, you know, so, so the architects going out there and they're looking for, you know, one thing. And so with the manufacturers, a lot of times, sometimes I've, I've had experiences in the past where they're like, oh, that's not, you know, big enough of a project or that's not important enough of a project. You know, I, I love the opportunity to just kind of take that out of the factor and they'll just say, I'm just going to give you information because then you say, OK, yeah. yeah, I've never really used these people before, but they definitely fit the bill. Um, and they, they're fine. You know, they're talking to me, you know, and, and so yeah. you can like take that information. And you could have, you know, these informed decisions, you know, rather than just saying, okay, I'm going to go to this, you know, the one stop shop that I always go to because I know they're going to give me the information. And, you know, nobody's really forthcoming with their information. Now that everybody's forthcoming with their information, it, it not only opens up, you know, a lot more like, you know, trusted partners for us, but also for them because they're, oh, now I'm going to have access to yeah. that HOK or SOM project, you know, or, or whatever. Um, without ever knowing it, because, you know, if they give the architect the time of the day, then you've, you know, 
then the architect's like, okay, yeah, exactly. They can, exactly. they can make a decision, right? It gets them to a decision faster. So, okay. Right. So right. this is a vehicle to build trust. And so Bob, I, can you just talk about like, where did that idea come from and yeah. how, how do you see it playing out ultimately? Because again, like we can't just say there's going to be trust. Trust is a process that people yeah. go through developing through building these relationships and sure. the benefit it's going to benefit both sides. So maybe you can talk about, about that whole spectrum. Absolutely. You know, it was, all of this comes from firsthand experience and conversations with my peers, right? So we've all had the conversation. We've all had the experience that we just don't want manufacturers calling us when we don't need to talk with them. Simple concept, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So everyone would think, wouldn't it be nice if they didn't do that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have two options. Um, They entirely change their ways and just stop calling. Or we have a way for them to not call us. Okay. And so to the point of projects, for instance, um, their habit is to chase projects, right? That's what they do. They want to know what the project is, when it's going to bid, et cetera. I literally read an article this morning in a business journal about a hospital project. And it's actually a hospital. My daughter is a nurse. And that project is breaking ground later this year. It's almost a $4 billion project. They expect occupancy in 2030. Wow. Um, There are renderings of the project. They're breaking ground this year. How many product decisions are already made as far as systems and choices and bids and relationships? How many unnecessary calls are there going to be in the next nine years of companies reading about the journal article this year or five or seven years from now and going, hey, let's go get into that project, would you? Too little, too late. Make the call, make the call, make the call. Yeah. So. Those are some of the kind of reasons that kept poking me to go to try to solve that question. And the answer is stealth communication. Hmm. Simply providing a really impenetrable veil between me and whoever I want to ask a question to, where I don't have to tell them who I am or what I'm working on. And this gets me really excited because this is like a a total technology solution, right? It's a technology solution, right? And that's the point is that conceptually we all want that. Hey, where's the the veil I could just walk around in as an architect and not have people even know I'm there, right? I want the answers. I got to call you. We got to talk. It's that invisibility cloak that we all want when we see it in the movie. So we needed a technological (laughs) development or a technology development to build that stealth cloak. And that's what we've done. And we're not the first to do it, right? We'd be a little, uh, you know, myopic to think that these are issues we only we have. So the beauty of technology is that every corner of the world and every facet of business has been pretty well developed. We just happen to be the slowest profession to, to adopt most of that, <laughs> frankly, right? So yep. what we've stitched together are some fantastic solutions. And in those pairings, created some new challenges and questions that we had to navigate with the developers of these other platforms. And so we are working in beta mode on some really cool things with some really cool suppliers, including CSI, right, on master format and how better to make that happen. I mean, if you print out the PDF of just the master format, it's almost 750 pages, literally. That's just the outline. Yeah. 
150 pages of which is a keyword index to navigate the other 600 pages of outline. I mean, ridiculous. This we need technology to navigate these things. And CSI is doing a fantastic job with tools like Crosswalk and other things to make that easier for us. But that doesn't address stealth, right? Mm -hmm. But it's part of it. Like if I need a stealth solution that can allow me to put in a couple keywords to find the right person with whom to have a stealth communication, that's a piece of it. But the actual veil is yet another supplier and another process. And so um, the tech app is a collection of very specific technology um, woven together to achieve that outcome. So for users, we simply put in a keyword, find the right folks to talk to, engage either a call or a chat. Email is a little tougher to veil. You can do mm -hmm. it, but it's a little tougher. Your, yeah, your domain name's attached to it. It is harder. Yeah, or if you take the Craigslist approach where you anonymize your email, et cetera, I don't know how many of you have seen that, you know, by your fourth anonymous response in Craigslist, it's actually showing them your full email. Yeah. <laughs> It just like degrades the process because it's really hard to control two sides on a uncontrolled platform for very long. Um, but a phone call is a phone call and a chat's a chat. And so we have the ability to anonymize both sides. Um, but there's only benefit to anonymizing the architects. We want those folks, the, the supply side, to tell us who they are, know who they are, et cetera. Um, but they can't call you back. Uh, in fact, what we did enable is a tool that allows the manufacturer to ping you back, right? So if I make a call to a, a source and they're not available and I have to leave a message, how do you do that? How do you do that without them calling you back? Right. right. So you leave a message. They get a ping invitation. So they're allowed to ping me back and say, hey, I missed your call. Or, hey, I got your message and here's your answer, you know, via chat. Again, anonymously, uh, you know, sent to or sent to an anonymous source, but it sent nonetheless. But if they want to talk to you or follow up on your call, they get the invitation to ping you back. So as an architect, you leave the message. A minute later, five minutes later, a day later, you get a ping. And that, that source is saying, hey, got your message ready to talk when you are. That's it. That's all they can do. So now when I decide, I can reach back out to them in stealth mode and make that call. Why? Because I might be in a meeting. I don't want them calling me back at 9.42 a.m. Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? I want to talk to them. But I don't want them to know who I am, and I want to call them when I'm ready. Right. So things like that are built into the platform. Um, we're eliminating the hassle. We're enabling the connections. We're delivering the the cloaks of, of anonymity, et cetera. And just basically taking care of the small details that we all want, but none of us would have the resources to build individually, right? Yeah. And so we're, we're putting those fundamental pieces in a collection of, of subparts to the tool set that just enable users to do what they wanted to do all along. And that's use your phone, use your computer. If you spend most of your time on your desktop, it works there. If you are mobile and on the run and super lean and that's the way you prefer it, it works there. It works on your phone, on a tablet, on a desktop, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's a global high security uh, technology. There's no loose ends here. And and ultimately in the service of building trust and, and verifying performance, right? So mm. 
over time, if you decide after a day that you want to open it up and let them know who you are, you can. Or sure. if you want to wait a year to do that, because then that's the appropriate timing. Yeah. Um, or they or they have shown that the the reciprocation of getting you the information you need when you need it and playing by the rules and they've built that trust. Like, like ultimately, right. Right. you you can just open it up and 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 lift the veil. And the communication is there, and now we know who each other are, and we could go other routes of communication that are more appropriate for different phases of a project, et cetera, right. et cetera. So, yeah, you made you mentioned the word verify. Yeah, that brings up another couple thoughts. Um, so one is the well verify. One of the risks that manufacturers have in a platform like this, and they've voiced it pretty strongly is how do we know that these are actually architects that are stealth behind a veil asking us these questions? And how do we know they're not our competitor? Mm. Right? If I'm their competitor, give me a veil. Let me ask them questions without them knowing I'm their competitor. Hey, how much does that cost? (laughs) Who are your competitors and what do you think about them? (laughs) You know, (laughs) so verification is a really important process. So user authentication. Yeah. Just like we want to know that a manufacturer has gone through the tech Academy. We want to know if you're actually in the design industry or if you're a competitor to manufacturers, right? And so we have a couple requirements for engagement on the platform. You know, I stated some of those requirements and prerequisites for manufacturers, but for architects, it's a really simple thing. We just need to know that you're who you say you are. That's it. Mm -hmm. One time, one time. So we don't need you to enter our site through gated entry every time. And we're going to ask you all these questions all the time. No. Just help us authenticate who you are once, and that way we eliminate the risk for the manufacturers, right? Um, Because as you were talking about verifying the context of verifying their trustworthiness over time, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And validating and growing their degree of trustworthiness, right? Um, But validation of users is a a key piece. Um, There was another thought I was going to articulate or expand on. It's gone. So it might show up again. (laughs) That's normal. Yeah, I have holes in my system too. So, <laughs> well, maybe maybe we can start to wrap up. And I I have a a last maybe potential last topic, and and I would love to get your feedback on this, Cormac. Is okay. So let's say that you know this this transfer of information along this timeline of a project uh, is is recorded right in inside of this. So if you've got chats, and you know you're you're going to be making decisions based off those chats and you're going to, you're going to on a project be talking to lots of different people as an architect, um, you know, engaging with a lot of different people on this platform. And so when you set up that original project and and you give it a name, you're basically creating like a folder of a repository of of a place to put stuff. So, so Cormac, (laughs) when you're working on a project right now, how do you memorialize these decisions? Obviously, they end up, you know, the real decision decisions end up in the spec at the end. But sure. along the way, right, as decisions get made, uh, you tell me how many places, how many data silos that that stuff could live in. Like, I, like way I think about it is, okay, we, we talk in Teams, we talk in Zoom, we talk in email, we talk in chat in some cases, yeah. it's a phone call. Some cases, a video call. Some cases, it's a chat. You've got OneNote. Like, you've got a plethora. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I hate right, that right, word, right. but it's there, right? Like, so so talk about the, the whole, you know, like, 
where where do we keep track of these decisions? We've talked about a document set being a a set of decisions, right? And so, where where do these decisions along the way live for you guys? And and do you see an end to that? Well, so we actually try to simplify it. We actually we were setting up our project tree folder of all the different um, you know things that we're you know pulling in information, whether it's existing information or whatever. Um, we'll actually develop a project manual folder, um, and in that project manual folder, we'll have a products folder. Inside that products folder, we have we basically basically break it down through divisions of the specs. Yeah. Um, in, in each of those division eight, whatever we want to call it, we'll go in there and we will kind of start to dump in our research. And so we'll have a products folder and then we'll have a final folder. Mm. The final folder will be the, like, the, okay, this, everything is going to be, you know, most of all of our work is all basis of design type, you know, uh, factory. And so, the, the final one will be the basis of design that we are going to be building to. And so that's how we're going to write our specs around. All of the other ones are research that we don't want to throw away because it's good, valuable research that we might use somewhere else, or it might be an approved equal or whatever. But, you know, we at least have, you know, in that division eight, we're, you know, specific to that particular um, specification uh, section. We're going to, you know, pull in all of the different things. You know, if we go in and we're doing glazing. You know, we're going to look at all the different glazing manufacturers. We're going to find that final glazing manufacturer, but then we're going to use all of this other one as research for other people because we also try to make it available for other people to use. You know, we, we are passing along information. It's like, hey, I'm looking for uh, bird strip glazing. Okay, well, here's all of the information that I've done research wise interface with a lot of different manufacturers. Here's the manufacturer's names. Here's the product, you know, data and information that we need. And here's the, you know, and then here was our final selection uh, based off of, you know, the criteria that we were really looking for. But if you're looking for something else, here's this, but then here's all of this other information that we found. And so we kind of make it, we, we try to streamline it so that we aren't like throwing it in all these different ones. We, yes. We're communicating back and forth via email and chat and you know Teams and Zoom and and um, OneNote you know specifically for me where we'll like you know have like this you know memorializing the conversation, but we need to you know memorialize it in a very in a far simpler way when we're actually you know kind of like just saying this is the product we're using. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. one of the things that I hear when as a you know from a, a digital practice side of things is just how do you surface information, right? Like mm-hmm. how do you actually find later? And, and that is the hardest part because number one, like were the people working on the project disciplined enough to put it in the right place? Okay. Let's <laughs> right. just, just yeah. let's just say they were yeah. right. Let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Number two, three years from now, when you send a junior designer into a folder structure to look for a product that you used on that project over there because you liked it and they don't know a division number because they're not trained in that yet. That becomes like an hour long search. Right. And so to me, like, again, assuming it's in the right place, assuming it's named appropriately, assuming somebody clouded the page in the PDF of the product you actually decided to use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. That is a, a deep, deep hole <laughs> that that information <laughs> well, lives true. within. 
And there's so many ways it can go wrong. So to me, I think one of the, you know, bringing it back to one of the things that TechDap is trying to do is just say, here's your project. Here's the decisions you've made on the products that you've decided to uh, collaborate with manufacturers on for this project. And then teammates can just dig through there and have one place to find that stuff and not hope to find it in the folder structure versus the OneNote versus the email versus any of the other places right. that that right, could right, possibly right. be. So yep. maybe, maybe Bob, you could just explain how how that works and then what an architect could do with that data because maybe they, you know, they want to memorialize it in an archive at the end. What can they actually do with it and not to get it back out of tech debt? Sure. Yeah. The beauty with digital platforms is the ability to move that data or group that data or search sort and filter right by various attributes. And so even one product inquiry, or one conversation has a number of factors involved with that conversation. What was the project? What was the stage of the project? What was the type of the project? What was the question? Who was the company? Um, what was the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. And so built into the application is an organization platform for all of the data where you can actually sort by project, sort by search, right? Because if I'm mm -hmm. making a search using keywords, to find a certain product genre, yes, that's tied to a project, but wouldn't it be nice to just revisit that search, but maybe it's in a different project location, right? So repeating the process every time is how our industry does it right now, mm -hmm. right? In a very mm -hmm. repetitive blocking and tackling in silos of context, this project, this product in this location, right? And yet, Master format is going to be involved in every project. Right. Systems and support suppliers are going to be involved on in all of the various projects, et cetera. So, um, yeah, the platform includes a very smooth organizing platform for all of your chats, calls, searches, projects, products, and experts. So product experts, not only do you engage with them, but you can favorite them, right? And so that you've got your own private list of favorites. Um, you know, if I need to change project location and that's the only thing changing, let's say I've got a repeat client, right, uh, that I'm doing projects for across the country. I don't want to research everything. I just need right. to change my location. And I need right. new contacts for that right? because codes right. are different. Regionalism is real, you know, and so and really impactful. Right. Code, yeah. sourcing, everything, cost, right. labor. Yeah. Um, logistics. Yeah. Logistics. You know, yeah. if I'm developing in San Francisco, my permit fees and road closures and things are a lot different than in the middle of Kansas. So yeah. um, but the ability to organize and search and structure that data is automatic. It's built in so that you don't even think about it. It's there. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as exporting into project files like the one you described, Cormac, it's all exportable, right? So if I need that full chat thread or just a summary of the chat thread or my call notes or an expert's profile, detailed profile with the contact info and everything, I just export it as a PDF. So everything exports as a PDF, print it, throw it in a file, uh, send it digitally to, to someone else on the team, et cetera. Um, yeah, that's built in as well because again, we're architects. We know that this is what we need and how we need it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
and, and you know, so organization and kind of crowdsourcing, I think, are something to really understand. Um, take, for instance, your, you do schools, um, but you haven't done a school in St. Louis. But other school architects in St. Louis have. Okay. Right. Wouldn't it be nice if you can just put in your project location? Sorry, got a tack dog on me. Um, put in your project location and be fed information from other similar searches by architects on a similar project. Yeah, yeah. Um, right? Um, or if I've not done a school before and it's my first school, wouldn't it be nice to see the master format tree that's used on average for schools in that area and just be able to select or deselect a few items and localize the search in one click based on city or location? Yeah, I mean, the, so, so what's it? So what's interesting is is I just had a request from someone um, who was at looking for my Rolodex of um, preferred manufacturers. What's a Rolodex, um, Uncle Cormac? <laughs> exactly. I tell him like, just hold on a minute. Hold on, you know, is that a candy bar or a candy? Rolo. I've heard of it. I think I've heard of it. Rolo. It, it, it was just. It was because they, you know, they were, you know, they. I told him I was like, be patient because there is something out there that is going to be so, you know, uh, it, it's going to be a game changer because the fact that, you know, we do, you know, that our, our particular firm, we do a lot of projects in a variety, in, in every municipality. I mean, we've done every, there, I don't think there's a state that we haven't worked in. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the, the great thing about it is, is that, yeah, I may have a preferred vendor for the Baltimore area, but I have done projects in St. Louis. And, and I know that, you know, doing projects in St. Louis, there are different, you know, manufacturers that do cross that line. And, you know, so if I do have somebody who's preferred here, do they actually work somewhere else? And it's, it's kind of exciting to actually be able to, like, have something that you guys can go to that actually kind of, like, takes this laborious task of trying to find a new set of, you know, like players for like my preferred um, materials and stuff like that. And it, yeah. it makes it a lot easier for you to access stuff like that. And so that, that, that Rolodex of like, you know, the one card that, you know, of this guy, you call this guy and this guy calls this guy and stuff like that. But since they're already in a chain, you know, you can just say, okay, I like this manufacturer. Let me see who's there in that particular place. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I misled you guys earlier because I, I said that maybe we could start wrapping up, and and now you've just opened up another another thing that I, I definitely wanted to kind of quickly touch on, which is, you know, we talked earlier on about architects making informed decisions and how that this kind of endless sea of searching, mm -hmm. uh, Cormac, you talked about, you know, you send off looking for one thing, you end up finding other stuff that may or may not work. And and then in this last piece of the conversation, we started talking about regionalism, right? And mm -hmm. so we started talking about the impacts that that there are that are legit impacts. And there's also stuff that, that only works in certain regions. We're not right. just talking about logistics, right? Uh, so again, I, th I want to start with you, Cormac, and then go to you, Bob, which is, yeah. you know, Cormac, how many times have you gone off on a search to find something you really like to f only to find out that it will never work in the location that your project is based yeah. on. Well, unfortunately too many times yeah. to be quite honest with you. And, 
In fact, actually, a, a project that I was doing down in North Carolina, you know, some of the more useful things that I like to go to in the mid-Atlantic in, you know, Northeast region just don't work. And they're not applicable to the application in North Carolina. And so, right. you know, the some of the things, you know, <laughs> so many times I had is just like, oh, we don't do that here. You know, it's like, okay, I wish I would have known that, you know, during my design phase things. Now I'm learning about it in submittal process. Well, and a lot of times project. that's because you're you're looking for information and maybe you can or can't find it and you're making a decision right. without right. A, a rep's involvement because you don't exactly. want to do that, right? You know that's right. a waste of time. Exactly. <laughs> only, yeah. only to find out later, like if you would have only engaged with them, they could have told you that information immediately. <laughs> so exactly. It's, exactly. A, it's a mess. Yeah. You know, because then the, the irresponsibility of me you know, saying that, you know, I put, selected this, um, mm -hmm. this manufacturer, but they don't work there. And now we're, you know, having to, during construction, do that. And we know that substitutions aren't a one-for-one -one exchange of finances. Yeah. And so, right. you know, if I would have known that ahead of time, now I saved myself a lot of grief and the potential embarrassment in front of the client that, you know, I didn't know that, you know, this door manufacturer didn't work in this area. Well, right. and if you think about it from the manufacturer's side, they're missing out too now, right? Exactly. Because yeah. they don't get to put that product on that project because it won't work, right? So, Bob, right. tell us how TechDap is solving this particular problem. It's one of the bigger problems that needed to be solved, for sure, um, for a number of reasons. I'll touch on those, and I'll try and answer it from both sides, first yeah. from the architect's perspective and then from the manufacturer. because. The impacts are tremendous. Um, fortunately, the solution is really simple. But let's start with the architect's experience. Um, one of the challenges we have when we inquire about any product, particularly if we use the resources that are available to our industry, things like magazines, uh, you know, yeah. websites, trade shows, um, any kind of promotion that you'll look into. A lot of the, the continuing education sources, right? Where I can go and continue to learn about products. All of that coursework, all of the promotions, all of the platforms that, that you know, share that information to our industry, let's just talk about the United States, it lacks regionalism. Yeah. Right? I was with a company for a long right. time. It's yeah. applied equally. And so if I get Architect Magazine and I thumb through it and I see something that I really, really want, then maybe I just really, really want that on my project. Yeah. And if I call the number or if I fill out the card at the back of the magazine or if I go online and enter my information to wait to get the response, but however I do it, if I get that information and I engage that manufacturer and I say, hey, I'm working on something I just told you about, this big billion-dollar project in California, and I've got some questions. They're going, yeah, we can do that. Sure. They've never oh, they sent anything west of Mississippi, <laughs> you know, ever. But right. we can do that. We can do that. Sure, sure, sure. They have no approvals in California. They have no understanding of the energy code nuances. They have, you know, no, no appreciation for the fact that when it comes time to, you know, source and acquire that product, no, no contractor is going to willingly pay the freight as a non-factor you know what i mean and you or, talk about or, egg, egg on your face 
(laughs) The projects that we've worked on in schools, in public schools in California, right? Like, does it have the testing criteria requirement done? And and there's so many materials and things that an architect wants to use on a project, not, and, and the manufacturers don't even understand that, that these testing requirements have to be not only done, but reported, right? And right. basically right. It, it has, like DSA requires that information for it to even be considered, right? And so okay. they have to do all the fastener testing, for instance. And so again, like you go off searching for something and there's no checkbox for this works with DSA in California. Mm-hmm. Right. And that would just take a lot of forethought and planning and automation and data structure and algorithms to make that simple, right? Yeah. But why not just talk to people? <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, right. do you guys understand the criteria for the city of Los Angeles approvals? And they're like, like what? And it's like, yeah, yeah that's a big no. They have right. no idea. <laughs> exactly. There's your red flag, run. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't well, need that... to do it do for some system to tell me whether they check the box or not. I could say yeah. with confidence, they have no idea. So my next question would be, who do you know in California that you can refer me to, for instance? But uh, getting back to regionalism for architects for a minute, you know, we look at our industry sources and publications, and again, there's just no regional way of knowing who's available for my project that also meets the criteria of my design intent and my schedule and budget, right? Multiple factors around the same topic of regionalism, because maybe something is available in my region, but it's 4x my budget. So it's really not an option for this project, right? It's not just about geolocating about multiple factors. So we do have algorithms that take those factors into account and make it easy. That's part of it. But for the architect, the regionalism, most of it is dependent on the build side, right? And there's a lot of local knowledge. You know, we talked about St. Louis. It's not just which manufacturers supply there, but which manufacturers are contractors equipped with labor and familiarity to actually do the work. Mm Yeah. Um, and so it's regionalism and cultural familiarity in the region of your project, right? Mm-hmm. And cultural preferences and norms in the region of your project. You know, if we wanted to build with Adobe in the Southwest, that's not a problem. If we want to build with Adobe in the Northeast, it might be a different set of conversations, right? Okay. And expectations and constraints. It could be Adobe-like. Right? <laughs> and it's all out there. Um, no Adobe included in the content of the material whatsoever, but it's Adobe like, Yeah. but, um, so for the architect, it's a, it's a constant challenge and it's baked into every inquiry we make. We just literally don't know if they meet all the criteria locally, but we all find out whether it does or not when it gets to bid and decisions are made. And at that point, it's a massive exposure of embarrassment Mm -hmm. for us along the way. Right. And it, and it, it adds to the problem of the build side, looking to the design side saying, they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, look at how easy it is to know that that product is only available on the East coast, not here. Right. Like what was your architect thinking? Well, it's not that we're incompetent. It's that our resources didn't empower that kind of knowledge well enough. And we could challenge the build side with as many, you know, challenges as they can throw at us. The point is, Hey folks, we're on the same team. We're not trying to make it hard for the main, for the architects or the builders, but the manufacturers like the piano player in the bar, they're involved on both sides of the conversation. 
So it's right. far better for architects to know who's regional in the first place. That's going to radically improve your batting average for keeping your product and design intent through completion of the project and not get changed out in the 11th hour. Right. And, and it's just going to not have you have to go figure those things out. It's already regionalized for the manufacturers. Boy, is that an interesting topic for them? Um, do you know which manufacturers supply to more than five states? How would you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like what metric would you conceive of using if you had all the resources available? How would you figure that one out? You wouldn't, but they know. And so it's about having a platform that invites that level of granular knowledge. And it's not just like, again, I refer to companies I've worked with. Take the block company, right? They don't just make block. In their collection of companies, they make over 27,000 different product SKUs for the building wow. industry. Even inside the company, like in Northern California, if your project is far Northern California, like almost to Oregon, it's not even supplied by their plant in Northern California. Hmm. It's supplied by their plant in Nevada. Why? Well, because the Logistic corridor is far better, you know, it's, it's far better to source from Nevada than from the Northern California plant. Okay, how would I know that? My project's in Northern California. Yeah, I picked you from your Northern California plant palette. Yeah, yeah, but those products aren't available up there unless you pay some surcharge. You know what I mean? So the point is that regionalism, when you look at the manufacturing part, what product, how is it distributed? Some things are sold direct to contractors. Some are sold through distributors. Like a lot of brick products, clay brick products are sold through distributors. A lot of concrete products are sold through distributors and direct to contractors. How would you know that? As an architect, you don't. So the way we streamline the regionalism question for architects is to help manufacturers tell the platform exactly who they are, where they are, where they would like to supply with primary relevance and profitability, right? Because if I'm a manufacturer in the Southeast and I've determined that my numbers make sense, you know, two states to the West, but not beyond that, then I really don't even want to be included in projects and inquiries and wasting our time. Right. Or we're really not even going to make money at the end of the day. It's probably going to be a big headache for us, mm -hmm. you know, where we find out late that all that effort and we don't meet the criteria of that neighboring state, et cetera. So, um, finding the sweet spot is simply about understanding where the information is best sourced. And it's frankly from the manufacturers, right? Down to the expert. Here's another quick facet from the manufacturer side. A manufacturer may have a hundred sales reps across the U S is every sales rep, the kind of expert that we want to talk to. Right. Like right. if the, if the sales rep in LA, because my project is in Los Angeles, is who they're telling me to call and you've got a hundred reps is the guy in LA really the guy I should talk to, or is he just the located guy I should talk to? So the other thing we're doing with manufacturers is we're helping them understand that just because you have a hundred sales reps, it does not mean you have a hundred people that are qualified to help architects, right? Architects want answers from experts period. So we're actually helping manufacturers that may have a hundred territories with a hundred salespeople and we're compelling them to actually consider that they may only have 10 experts in that mix. 
Yeah. Those are the people that we need on the platform. So now rep number five, who only handled LA, might actually take all the inquiries in the, you know, the Western region. Why? Because architects want experts, right. you know, regionally. And how would we know that the rep number five out of 100 was the actual expert to talk to? How would that guy's front office know that he was actually the guy that we want to talk to, mm -hmm. right? So the, the complexity of regionalism is pervasive in our impacts and it needed to be solved. And that has taken years to figure out on our end and years to put together the, the solution set. And now it can be solved in a matter of months of input by specific manufacturers into that network. Um, well, see, yeah, what's, what's beautiful about that is that it takes all of like that, like you, 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 the way you positioned all that was it's, it's opaque to the architect. And as what you're saying, be, right? We don't care. What you're we saying just... is it gets to, it still gets to be right. Like they don't, but it gets them what they're looking for much more accurately without right. even having to worry about that part of it. Or well, sorry, yeah. I, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, there's, there's two other factors to, to regionalism that this actually helps the architect solve. And, you know, one of them is, okay, and, and, and I like the fact that you, you, you put it this way, is, is, a you know, is a product actually available in your area? Because a lot of times if we're, say, building in, in the Baltimore area, I'm just, you know, going to use that as my specific. And, um, but I want, you know, a certain product. Is that product available in Baltimore? Um, well, that, that has an overreaching, you know, factor of two is like, okay, if, I, if it's going to have to conform to a sustainability factor and they don't, you know, I don't have anything regionally, is it going to be coming outside of that 500 mile, you know, bubble? It, you know, and, and if it says, well, yeah, okay, well, maybe I need to start looking at other products because, you know, every, every product now has, or every project now has a level of sustainability that they need to conform to, you know, uh, the city of Baltimore, the project I just you know, recently submitted on, you know, we're following the lead, you know, track and the lead track, you know, your materials have X, you know, criteria that you have to follow in finding out, you know, being able to find out if that product is actually available regionally um, is a big factor in determining whether or not you're going to use that product. And even more so is if you can find out from the manufacturer, okay, you know, I, I want to use this project, you know, this product on my project. However, my client wants to see this product, you know, this product, you know, can you tell me, you know, where another installation of this is so I can, you know, arrange some kind of tour for my client so they can see it in action because they may not have ever used this before. Now I can show them, you know, what I'm trying to achieve for them. And it's not oh, so scary yeah, anymore exactly. if they can touch it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so being able to have access to, um, you know, that project in a more regional fashion or that product in a more regional fashion is definitely something that is of use um, in the kind of like the regional aspect of easing the architect's mind. Yeah. One other quick uh, reference on the regionalism side of things and the resources that we uh, access as an industry regularly. Um, when I started digging into this and I really started understanding who the regional sources are and were as manufacturers, um, and then I looked at the mainstream resources online and otherwise, and I put those queries in, um, many of the most prolific suppliers in certain regions weren't even showing up. Mm. 
like they weren't even showing up. So, hmm. you know, using concrete block again, there are some companies that provide certain regions where like 90% of the time, it's just one company. And when I search the mainstream databases in those regions for that product type, the company doesn't even come up. I mean, how disabling is that to the process? Even, yeah, never get the job, right? <laughs> when I never right. even knew the most relevant. So now put yourself in the shoes of the manufacturer again. Right. How many projects are they missing? Yeah, right. When right. they say, hey, 90% of the time our product is used in that region. Well, only about 10% of the people even know that you exist. Wow. Because 90% right. right. of the time they're searching resources that don't include you. Right. Right. And you are not getting invited to the party. So from a manufacturer's perspective, isn't a great goal for them that wherever their footprint is, however complex it may be, that whenever there's projects in that specific footprint, at least they're in the, the consideration Yeah, totally. for all projects in that region where their product is being called on. Yeah, it helps right. everybody. Yeah. It's a ridiculous efficiency that has lacked a solution for decades, right? And you just, Back in the old day when it was, you know, I'm sorry, Evan, but quick point. Back in yeah. the old day when you had to move all of your products by, by horse and, and, you know, and carriage or, or horse and uh, cart, you knew what regionalism was and who the players were. Yeah. Right, we just right. don't live in that day. You know? Right. So it's I, a I, different was... challenge. What I was going to say was, I, you know, the way that the information is presented to architects online, especially, is that, mm. and I guess in the magazine is a great example, too, is that yeah. it all works everywhere, right? And yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. there's no specificity to that. Mm -hmm. and, but you you assume that because your eyeballs see that thing, that it works, like that it should be available. And that's just yeah. not the case. And And the way that you just laid out how complex that really is, yeah. is phenomenal problem to solve and by taking yeah. that off the table and making yeah. it a a key part of you know let's call it the algorithm but even yeah, though it know, is on a certain level it is and on a certain level it's just a a fundamental that needed a whole tool set right and mm -hmm. logic to yeah. unravel and to reposition and to reconnect and then to prove it out right yeah and to yeah. make it work and we're actually just quick note we're in beta, right? This isn't a product that's like launching off the shelves to market and everything's dialed and all the suppliers are there, et cetera. So all of the work to date was intense and complex, fully informed, not fully, but highly informed, right? From both sides of the puzzle, architecture and manufacturing. Mm -hmm. But we're actually in beta mode with full invitation from both sides to help us further refine the outcomes. Yeah, um, and to me, but, that's what's, the most exciting opportunity about this is is that invitation to make yeah. things better, to actually yeah. solve these problems and not That's proliferate right. the existing problems in in just a new right. way to access that information. Yeah, yeah. I hope that we're we're the least informed at the end of the day, and that the crowdsourced additional knowledge proves to be the group genius that the the full turnkey solution you know is going to include. Um, one other quick reference on regionalism that's just an interesting thing that most of us probably have never thought about. As a manufacturer, we put up a, a continuing education course on a national uh, resource. Mm -hmm. And I offered a course for energy strategy in California. Okay? 
the platform it was posted on was a national resource. Mm. The course was downloaded more than five downloaded and completed by more than 500 architects. Mm. Only 5% were in California. Mm-hmm. So 95% of those folks who took the course, um, you know, didn't really know initially that it was entirely about California. It was about concrete block and energy strategy, et cetera. I have to imagine that a good portion of those folks are never going to do a project in California. Mm-hmm. And they might've just wasted a bit of their time because it was so California specific, but there was no way to say, and I, I literally asked the, the platform provider, I said, you know, I see this as an issue. Is there any way we can just promote it as a regional course? Mm-hmm. They said, yeah, we don't do that. Well, that's just one example from one course on one product in one state. Imagine how much of a quagmire that oh, is. Man. On yeah. every topic, when I go online, I take a course and they say, nope, it says that I don't need any insulation for this system in this state yeah. because of something. And somebody in New York tries to use that data. <laughs> like I took the course, you know? Right. Um, anyway, there's, there's, some, there's some stuff there that uh, needs attention. And, and we're just trying to do it, and we're at the front end of, of uh, the next step, which is beta and involvement and dialogue and, and uh, participation by others. And really happy to have been you know, given the opportunity to talk to you guys about this and uh, you know, share the invitation to your audience as well. Yeah, I, I know that we've we've talked a lot about a lot of different things, and and I think we really should wrap it up now. I, sure. One of the one of the kind of key wrap up points that I think is worth talking about, and then um, Cormac, I would invite any of your thoughts, and Bob, maybe you can wrap it up and let everybody know where they can find out more information about sure. this and stuff like that. But but the the last point that I will make is that we've talked a lot about this on on the various channels, right? It's it's taking a step back and leading a solution for everybody to get better together and really saying that we are all in this together. Like we, yeah. this is something that we need to do by us, for us and solve our own problems and not wait around for somebody else to hopefully solve it for us, mm-hmm. but really rolling up our sleeves and getting our hands dirty to solve this problem for us so that we can spend this time on better things, right? Mm. That's, that is a key thing that I see happening here. And it's worth pointing out that no one manufacturer could do this on their own and no one firm could do this on their own. It really takes like that agnostic party to apply this to everybody and say, like, we're not, we're not just providing it to you. It's, we're inviting you in, you're going you can be a part of making this solution for everybody um and and so i that's to me what's most exciting about the ability for this to elevate the conversation but also elevate the profession that we all are so passionate about yeah yeah, yeah i mean it, it seems like this is something that's filling a need that most people realize that there was a problem but wasn't really sure of how to solve it mm-hmm. because it's just easier to kind of continue to keep doing things kind of status quo, you know, and it's just like, well, you know, this is just the way that, you know, I mean, as many times as we approach a project where we're like, okay, well, this is just a, um, you know, we're going to use this because this is how we've done it in the past and things like that. And that just kind of perpetuates the the issue. And the thing about this is, is that, you know, um, and we've talked about this in, in numerous different platforms, but just 
this conversation of, you know, where do you want to spend most of your brain power? Like going out and searching 5,000 different products, or do you want to like find the right product and then get back to like what you really want to do, which is like that whole design process. And now multiply that across every architect. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. How much time is seriously wasted? Oh my gosh. Exactly. And, you know, and, and so we like get back the, the, the part of the projects that you really love to do rather than, you know, we, 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 we talk about the mundane process. Well, it's not really mundane. Um, if you like just let it, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one, one thing that I'm, I'm super excited about is that I'm now on this team for, and, and really coming, attacking this from the architect side. And, and that's why I, you know, the preamble that I just gave about, being excited about creating something for the profession's betterment is so exciting to me to be a part of that. But um, I, I definitely don't want that to be what this conversation was about. I want it to be about how people now can get involved and and know that they have somebody that they can come talk to about that and and get this conversation like out in public. Yeah, to make it very clear, um, we are blessed to have. Evan Troxel on board full time at TechDap Inc., uh, leading our architect community efforts. And it's just a natural fit, right? And I would say that you, Evan, are just an early adopter of the invitation, right? You jumped in a little bigger uh, than, yeah. than most could even have the opportunity to, perhaps. But um, the idea of us rowing in the same direction, getting in the same boat, um, doing things that make sense together. Um, you know, right. The whole point of tech app, maybe we could say is just to give architects more time in their lives Yeah, to, totally. to do the things they want to your point, Corbett. And maybe that's not even more work on projects, right? Just maybe it's more time to grow and travel. Um, but firstly and profoundly, I'm deeply humbled and excited as heck to have you on the team, Evan. Um, I'm even more excited about the prospect of having dozens, if not hundreds of other architects really join the effort. Yeah. Um, And it's the kind of thing that I could see that if you as an architect listening or participating is willing to spend a couple hours of your life on this effort, that might be all it takes Mm -hmm. for us to be able to deliver back to you in service to you the kind of tools and, and solutions that you've been needing and, and hoping for every day, frankly. Right. Um, so that's the, that's the goal. Um, that's the invitation. And uh, you know, we're just hopeful about the future. And so um, we're in beta. We're launching Monday, uh, a couple of days from this recording and uh, techapp.com is the entry point. Um, So check it out. Let us know if you're interested. Um, Keep an ear to the ground um, because we've got a pretty robust strategy and a a pretty aggressive schedule of growth. Um, But we are going to be cautious. So I could see iterating and improving happening on an every couple of weeks schedule for probably the next five years. Okay. I mean, that's what it's going to take. To, to get really, really strong and, and better than average. 
Um, but coming out of the gate, I've been at this since uh, kind of early 90s. And it's been an iterative process, and it's been improving and building. And right now, we've assembled it in a super potent offering. And so for early adopters, we welcome you in. We'll be in service to you at no cost, other than a little of your time up front and validating that you are who you say you are. And beyond that, um, there's just work to do, and we're, we're just excited as heck to be doing it. Um, so again, I thank you guys both for the opportunity to talk about this on your show and uh, Evan's choice to change his life and join the party. <laughs> I uh, couldn't be more excited to make a, a huge impact, to make a positive impact on our profession. And that's really something that yeah. I feel passionate about. And I feel like I, it was a, the irresistible opportunity to do mm. just that and to yeah. build the community of architects that it's going to take to do this yeah. so that we can do it together for us um, and really be kind of, you know, the ones who design our future. Uh, so that again, like just to, just to remove the buildup, the barnacles that are under the, the water level that have built over time and get back to some more smooth sailing, I think would be just, it's just an, an incredible opportunity. So I, I couldn't be more excited to do that. Yeah. That another point is generations. Um, and the application of that is that as we know, our profession you know, 40 years ago was a different profession than it is today. And I fully expect it will be a different profession in 20 years and 40 years as well. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting window that exists right now between old school architects, right? That used to draw things by hand and futurists who might be able to talk their design intent into existence through platforms mm -hmm. potentially. <laughs> um, and both sides are needed, right? the patina and the knowledge and the maturity of certain measured decisions coupled with radically cool, fantastic computational design, et cetera, right? Generative design, all those things. Um, I do believe that improving our profession to the degree that it deserves is a multi-generational, if not multi-lifetime life cycle. And this platform cares not just about the old school folks with opinions, not just the techies, you know, not just the most artful creatives among us, not the most analytical, not just students, but everybody. Right. Yeah. Because this is about being in service as we've talked about to the profession where you are in the stage of your profession. So there's room for students, interns, um, thought leaders, uh, top designers, and designers doing new things for the first time, right? That just need help. Um, it's all here to serve and to call on us to spend just a percentage of our career participating in that whole. That's it. And so it's a platform that I think will grow to be um, a good place of value and uh, a pretty special place over time. So happy to be a Absolutely. part of it. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for taking the time to have this conversation today. I feel like this was, it's a, it's a bit of a reveal of sorts mm. and yeah. it's a bit of a, um, a new chapter for sure. Uh, for me, especially. And mm. so I don't think a lot of architects go to school thinking that they're going to solve this kind of a problem. But to me, like many problems that I come up against, I look at it as a design problem and I yeah. feel like, yeah. 
uh, this is absolutely a design problem that deserves it's a, the attention that we're giving yeah. it. So yeah. um, I hope that people will go along this journey with us. And I, I again, I couldn't be more excited to to do that and talk about it here with you too. Likewise, yeah. And Cormac, I, I you know, I want to respect that this is not an invitation to to be all about tech and tech app and what we're trying to do. This is really to celebrate what every person in each of their roles is about and try to answer us, answer a very simple question. Cormac, how can we make your life better? Mm-hmm. How can we make your practice better? What are you working on right now that you want help with, right? What are your thoughts about what we might be doing right or wrong? I want to hear it, right? Yep. Yeah. And, yep. And, and yet the bigger question is how do we serve you based on your interests, needs, time, you know, in your career, et cetera, types of projects you're working on, where you want to take your team, et cetera. Um, how can we help? And if we can have a dialogue about that, kind of that cleanly over time with more and more, more of us, um, yeah. it is a design problem. And imagine the outcome if it's a really fully informed process, right? Absolutely. Um, and so let's do this together as problem solvers. That's who we are as architects. You know, let's do this together, trusting each other. Because I think each of the folks involved in their own merit have earned that trust and and shown their true self. Um, So let's invite more of that. And let's invite as much diversity to the conversation as possible, right? It's not meant to be a a narrow track solution. And uh, the heavy lifting then becomes pretty easy for each of us, Mm. right? With big outcomes. Um, and then lastly, a moment of silence for manufacturers uh, and the recognition that we all need to just stop for a minute. Give up on your current assumptions about how it works you know, and how frustrating it can be, et cetera. And then kind of open that back up and celebrate the fact that, wait a minute, as architects, you mean to tell me that we've got hundreds of manufacturers with all the data we'd ever need chomping at the bit to give it to us? And answer exactly our questions with exactly the right information, like in short order and at no cost. <laughs> and there's a platform that's going to allow that to happen without all the hair and baggage that comes with that in its current process. Yes. And it's not because we've created this solution. It's always been there. It's that we've devolved as a culture based on day-to-day experiences that have somehow forced that gap. And then over time, that gap has widened and it's not serving any of us. Yeah. We just got to stop. Contemplate a pivot. Every good venture is aware of a good pivot at the right time, right? Well, our industry right. needs a pivot. Both sides, all sides. So um, I think I, I would leave with that thought. Just take a minute to rethink how, how you might be willing and how it might look to, to change your perspective. All right, so you can either click a button on techdap.com to get in touch and learn more, or you can send me an email if you want, evan at techdap.com, and you could send an email to Bob if you want at bob at techdap.com, and we would love to talk to people who are interested in going on this journey with us and and uh, participating and contributing. Absolutely would, would love to have those conversations. Sure. So. Thanks for your time, everybody, today. It was a fantastic conversation, and I feel like we 
we went deep, but that's what's <laughs> needed. I definitely yeah. feel like that's what's needed. This is not just a fancy web page. This is not just uh, there's an app for that. This is a deep, deep <laughs> problem in need of a deep, deep solution with lots of thinking around it. And I feel like that's what we really spent the time to talk about today. So thanks for hanging out, you guys. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Troxel Podcast. And once again, I would like to thank ArcIT for sponsoring this episode. Visit their website at GetArcIT, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com. This show is part of the Gabled Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at GabledMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for eTroxel. Talk to you soon.